All right. Well, um, we just spent the last six weeks doing a series on discipleship called Made for It. And if you missed any part of that, I don't normally say this, but I would really encourage you to go back and to listen and watch because we spent six weeks in discipleship mainly for this reason. Uh, number one, it's at the core of who we are. We're not a program-based church. We're a discipleship-based church. But I also know that due to the coronavirus and everything else going on, we've drifted from the main thing, which is to make disciples. Jesus had many opportunities to do all sorts of types of ministries and to expand the kingdom, but he actually chose discipleship to be the main thing. He did other things, but that was the main thing. So for us at Antioch, I just want you to know that we just did six weeks on it, and we started that way because we want to be clear that that is our main thing. And the best way for you, if you're saying, I want to be in discipleship, your step one would be to go to a life group. If you're a college student, young adult, family, the youth is kicking off this Wednesday night, by the way. So if you're a youth, 6 o'clock, it's going to be rowdy. I'm going to be here, and we're going to kick it off. We've got a great new youth leadership team uh, uh, to, be, to be stepping in in the absence of, of the locks heading out. We've got a great team in place. But... We're kicking it off this week, and even youth's going to be having life groups in homes, a senior high and junior high life group. Young adults are meeting in homes. Families are meeting in homes. College students, you're already meeting in homes, in your apartments, and you're going for it. But discipleship's the main thing. And so if you want to get in discipleship at Antioch, I would encourage you to go to a life group, go to the life group leader and say, hey, I, I'm hungry for discipleship, right? And so, but you kind of have to raise your hand. Like in class, you got to say, hey, I want it, right? And so we want to make discipleship available to everybody that wants it. And Jesus discipled the hungry. And so if you're hungry, if you're like, man, I want that, tell somebody, let's start doing discipleship. And we like to do it in peer-to-peer groups the majority of the time. But we also unpacked other ways to be in discipleship that look different than just peer-to-peer discipleship, whether it's mentoring or intensive. So I want you to go back and listen to the series if you missed it. And I want you to engage because that is our... Uh, that's our desire, that, that at Antioch, you would, uh, that none of us would just remain as a Sunday attender, but we would engage into discipleship because that's the life on life, right? I mean, I think we've all experienced the benefits of virtual, and there are some, but man, live is a lot better, right? In person is a lot better. And so we want to get you in person with people, which is discipleship, iron sharpening iron, and so that's going to take you getting hungry for it and getting after it. So we love for you to engage in discipleship here at Antioch. But today and next week, though, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, if you've been with us for, you know, at least, uh, if, if you were at our church back in 2019 and the start of 2020 here, you heard us talk about an initiative called Own It. And um, we built up and we did a five-week series and had a big push. And as soon as we were going on it, all of a sudden the coronavirus reared its head. But, you know, we are not deterred by the diseases of this world or by things that happen, but we just put it on pause. So now we are unpausing, just like you all like to do when you're watching your show. We are unpausing and we are reengaging. And this time, even if there's a war, we are moving forward. Okay? So I'm just making it clear to you. I've already wrestled through that one. We are going all in. All right? And so um, today I'm going to be unpacking that a little bit more about the own initiative. What is it? For some, it'll be a refresher, but also be some things I want to share with you that are fresh. And then next Sunday, we're going to talk about it again. Okay, does that sound good? But if you're wondering, what is this own it thing? I first just want to show you a little video to kind of clue you in, all right? Ten years ago, we moved here 
with a promise from God that if we would be faithful just to the next thing he was asking us to do, then he would establish a church, but not just any kind of church, a church planting church, one that would be committed to reaching people of all ages and all stages of life so that then they could become disciples of Jesus who would eventually transform towns and nations. God's been faithful to fulfill that mission and that vision to this very day. We have been to this amazing facility for these last several years and it's been a great home for us. But it's now come to the point to where God has initiated with us that we need to move on from this place and to move to a different location so we can actually grow and bring more people in to make more disciples, multiply more life groups, and train and send out more people. So that's our heart. And so how are we going to do that? We want to formally invite you into something we're calling the Own It Initiative. More than anything, it's a discipleship initiative, meaning that our desire is that as an entire church, we would own it together, that each individual person would be equipped, trained, would grow, would have the resources they need to really own their own personal walk with Christ. What would it look like if we were a church where every single person was clear on their gifting, clear on how God wired them, they had a place to serve and a volunteer in our church and in the community around us to really make an impact? Whether you're five years old, 15 or 75, we are looking for 100% engagement from our church because this is a church family endeavor. It's not just for a few, it's for the whole. We're gonna be unveiling to you in the weeks to come, what does it mean for us as a church for the next two years to actually go on this journey, to embark on this adventure together, to really see this God-sized vision fulfilled in our city. And if we do this, we wholeheartedly believe God will continue to be faithful to allow us to grow, to meet the needs of the people in our community, to make disciples who ultimately will transform towns and nations. So hey, we just wanted to get your juices flowing this morning because, you know, sometimes we get stuck in a rut, right? And um, we can tend to look at things as they are and maybe get a little discouraged and whatever that looks like in life. And if I would label 2020, it's got lots of labels, but it's also been a year of discouragement, <laughs> you know, but thankfully God is still the same. His nature hasn't changed. His plans haven't changed. His timing of when Jesus will return one day actually hasn't changed. Did you know that? Like there's nothing we are doing on planet Earth that's going to change that. He's got things in motion, yet he is inviting us into partner with him in his grand plan uh, to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And the ONA initiative is that very thing for us. I want to I read for you a passage that's maybe a familiar passage for some, but... If you don't know, we're part of a larger network of churches called the Antioch Movement. Um, and there's over 45 churches in the U.S. There's, uh, I think, nearly 100 teams overseas right now that are sharing Jesus, that are, that are making disciples, that are starting house churches, and that are reaching the unreached. And that is part of our endeavor, whether it's overseas or in this own city. We're trying to reach those who aren't church, those who don't know the Lord, those who have maybe gone wayward. We need to pull them back into the fold. But Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 is a passage that's been at the heartbeat of Antioch for over 25 years. I want to read it to you. It says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and resettle the desolate 
cities. That is at the heart. That is at the core of who we are and what we're about. We are committed to enlarging, to stretching, to stepping into the things of God that he has before us. And part of that is that we've been in this place for over seven years, and God's been inviting us and has provided opportunities, which I'll share more later today and next week, as to how we can grow and expand from here. And this ONA initiative, I just want you to know, it is a two-year discipleship initiative, um, meaning that we are committed to really three core objectives. In order for us to move forward as a people, we felt really clearly that there's three main things that we've got to go after. The first one is to own your pursuit of Jesus, to own your pursuit of Jesus by committing to personal discipleship. It can't just be, well, I'm glad they love Jesus. No, no, no. It can't just be, well, I'm glad I go to this life group and they've got it figured out. No, no, no. It's got to be you. Every person has to take ownership. And and I mean our our seven-year-olds, like they need to take ownership. Our teenagers, it's on you. It's not on mom and dad. Our college students, it's not on the pastor or your other friends. It's on you. Right? Jesus has personally invited you to know him and to walk with him. Do we have the community around us to help us? Absolutely. <laughs> that's, why, that's why he created discipleship. He could have picked one disciple, by the way, but he got 12. Right? There was wisdom in that. This is the son of God. He thought it was a good idea to do it in community. Right? And so personally committing to him, but we also do it together. The second one is this, to own your place in his mission by committing to selfless service. Owning your place, your place in his mission, in the mission of God, which is the Great Commission, by committing to selfless service. That means volunteering. That means giving up your time, your talents, your resources, because if you truly believe that God's the one who gave you all of that, then you owe it to him to then use it in a way that would most honor and bless him. Does it make any sense? Nothing that we have is our own. If, if you believe that, you don't fully believe that God is actually the one who set you up and took care of you, gave you the personality, to the hair color, to the smarts that you have, or the lack of them. But God knew what he was doing, right? I wasn't the smartest kid in school, but he had other plans for me, and that's okay because God has so uniquely created every single purpose, every single person for a purpose that you would own that in your own life. The third one is this. To own the price of progress by committing to radical generosity, right? There, there is a price to be paid to move the church forward throughout history, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether some Moravians getting on ships and going overseas to share the gospel amongst the slave communities, or whether it's people going to China for the first time to bring the gospel, or whether it's people coming here, whether it's George Whitfield and John Wesley to spread the gospel, or the Baptists planting churches in every small town in the South. Whoever's doing it, there is a price to be paid for the gospel to go forward. Not only is it a sacrificial price, there is a monetary cost to it. There is a reality to that we want to send people out. It costs money to get on planes. I wish they were free. I mean, they're close to free right now, honestly. If you want to fly somewhere, you can about go anywhere in the U.S. for 100 bucks. You got 100 bucks, you're bored for the weekend, just get on the plane. Okay? But that's not going to last, all right? It will go back up eventually. So... But I'm just telling you, there is a reality. We've got to own the price. In order to move something forward, it costs you, right? You don't get swole, guys, unless you go to the gym and actually lift something heavy. You can't just pray you get swole. God, make me huge. 
It doesn't work like that. If it did, gyms wouldn't exist. Okay? But that's not how it works. Because God is not a God. He's not a genie. Okay? It's not Aladdin. Right? This is following Jesus, which means he says, pick up your cross and follow me. And so, church, if we want to do something great, if we want to step into what God's asking us to do, it's going to require all of us engaging together, or I like to say putting our shoulders into it. Amen? But today, I just want to unpack for you just briefly the first two of those core objectives. Own your pursuit of Jesus and then own your place in his mission. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It's the, it's the calling of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says you are blessed to be a blessing, right? The term blessed... It highlights the hope that through Abraham, people everywhere would one day experience God. That through Abram, through the blessing of God through Abram and the people of Israel, and then Jesus coming out of those people and then making disciples and then them spreading and the Pauls and the Peters and the Timothys and the gospel going forth, that through Abraham, God chose to put his blessing there, but that not just for them, but for all, that all who hear the name of Jesus, that all who know him might be saved. But you know what? He was asked to leave his homeland, right? He was asked to leave everything and to go on a faith journey, a journey taking one step at a time to follow God in this destiny, right? And, you know, guys, when, when, when God speaks to us, I, I like to say this way. Sometimes we use the phrase, um, you know, I... I heard God or I prayed and, and, and this is what God said to me. I just want to give some clarity to that. What we teach and preach at Antioch is this, that there's really three main ways that God speaks. Um, one way is through his word. And so everyone's got access to that. Thanks in part to guys like John Wycliffe about 500 years ago who risked his neck to bring the word into actually written language. We actually have the Bible and it's being translated more and more every day so that more and more people all over the earth get to read the Bible for themselves. Right? And so we have the word. So you, you hear God through his word. You also hear God through his people, which is why you should get into a life group. It's like, man, I'm really struggling in life. What do I do? Don't stare at the wall anymore. Go to life group. And someone pray for you. Man, this is what I'm thinking. Man, what are you thinking about? That's crazy. The Bible doesn't say that. Oh, my gosh, you're so right. I mean, guys, let's up to ourselves. If you all just did that, that's not our best self. Let's just be even, even the introverts in the room. I know you. It's really good. But after a while, you need somebody to, like, just kind of help you make sense of things, right? And so we hear God through his people. We also hear God through his Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God speaks to us. And that may be in the realm of peace. Oftentimes for me, God speaks to me through peace. Did you know that? Like, he's the God of peace, what it says. So I'm at a crossroads. i got three doors open. Lord, which one do I do? And I'm about to open this one, and I just feel this weird feeling. And I'm just like, ugh, I'm like, Okay, God, maybe that's not it. Or go this one, I feel kind of condemned or weird. I don't know what's going on there. This one, like, well, this is, okay, this, this seems right, right? And so God may speak through the peace in your heart. I chose to marry my wife because of the peace of God. I, 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 I didn't have writing on the wall. That would have been great. Her name is Ashley Marie. You know, just 
Thank you, Lord. That, we'd all want that. I know. It makes it easy. Dating's tough. Okay? But that ain't happening. It's just not. Go, don't wait for that one. You'll be waiting a long time. Just say, God, just help me understand here. Is this it? I mean, just, can I work with this? Can I? Uh, thank you, Lord. There's peace, you know. If not, don't go through that door, all right? But God speaks through his word, through his people, and through his Holy Spirit. He may speak to you in, a, in like a vision, in a dream. He may give you a picture. You may be reading the Bible, and you get this sense, I need to go to Psalm 63. Like, what does that say? I don't know. You're like, oh, my gosh, it says exactly what I need to hear, right? And so however God speaks, it is good, but I want to encourage you to lean in to all three ways. And I want you to encourage friends to lean in. So when a friend says, hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to do whatever, this big decision. Hey, that's great. So how so how'd you come to that decision? Well, I prayed about it. Okay, well, what did you hear? What, what was said? What did God say? Well, I don't know. I prayed about it. And that's a terrible answer. <laughs> if, ever, if a friend ever says I prayed about it, never let him get off that easy. You know what I'm saying? Just, okay, well, then pray. Like, prove it. I mean, what, 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 what's wrong with that? It's all through the Bible. It's like, well, then prove it. Like, prove to me that you really, are, that you really heard God on that in the Scripture. Show me something. Because if we're doing things that there's, that's not backed up here, that's a big problem. Right? Or in our house, we say that's a big no-no. Okay? If some of your friend says that, just say, uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, would you pray? And if they get something legitimate, man, honor them, affirm that, bless them. But, guys, we got to move away from the whole feelings thing. Right? Like, feeling something is not necessarily all there is to hearing God. Okay, we'll stop on that one. All right, moving on. You get my drift. All right, so Abraham. Back to Abraham. Um, so God speaks to him, right? It's to take a step of faith moving forward. And, um, and, and what that required of Abraham was to trust God. So trust him, right? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I love Proverbs 3. I mean, if you haven't heard that verse, man, it's so encouraging. Like, oh, I can just trust in the Lord. <laughs> yes, I can. I don't have to be in control. I, I like to be in control. So do you, because we're fleshly people. It's like, I want to just know everything. The, if, you're the, if you're like the big planners, you don't like the surprises. You're like, don't surprise you my birthday. Tell me when it is, where it is, and what we're doing, you know? But other people are like, don't tell me any of that. It's going to ruin it, you know? And, but, but we can trust in the Lord. We need to trust him in the things that he's doing in our lives. And Abraham had to trust God in his own journey, in his own journey. And, you know, if, if you start with the foundation of trust in God, then no matter what he's speaking, you can do it. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, this journey for us guys is going to be a big journey. Like, I'm, this, this Own It initiative is not, I'm not taking it lightly. It's a huge, it is the biggest faith step. The first one was actually moving here to start a church from nothing. That was a pretty big step of faith. This is probably the second biggest one. Now we're going to actually move our location, move into a different spot in College Station. We're going to go on a journey. We're going to commit, double down discipleship, double down on people serving and getting in line with the mission, double down on our generosity, what we're giving our times and talents and resources. I mean, it's a big ask. And it was a big ask for Abraham to say, leave everything and go, but it's going to be better. Do you understand? Like, we would not be doing this if we didn't believe wholeheartedly that it's going to be better. It's not that this is bad, right? Like, there, there can be good, better, best, right? This has been good. But, man, there's something better 
God has for us. That's how we're engaging on this journey. But sometimes we get lost in the shuffle. We trust God, but then we kind of lose it if we don't keep the end in mind, right? I'll just read a, a piece of this in Revelation chapter 22, 4 through 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is speaking of heaven one day. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Oh, did you know that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, the one to forgive you of your sins, and that means all of them, he makes you new right there, a new creation. But you still live on planet Earth. You can't escape that. But one day, oh, he's making all things new. I mean, it's going to be glittery. I mean, look, if you're a dude, it's going to be masculine and cool. <laughs> you know, if you're a girl, if there's diamonds, I mean, it's just going to, it's going to be glorious. Whatever you can imagine, whatever dream vacation or moment or experience you've ever had in your life, it is a million times more guaranteed. We, can't, we don't even understand how incredible it's going to be. Like, we do not even have the brains or the creativity to even go to that level. It is beyond. It is only in that realm. Like, it is another realm of enjoyment, of pleasure, of joy, of life, of just everything. That when you're like, oh, that was the moment in my life, I just felt like 110, per like that moment, it's all the time. But on this earth, there's death. There's pain. There's tears. But not there. Which is why if you remember, man, Earth is not my home long-term. Heaven is. I can keep going when it gets tough. I can keep going when it gets hard. When it's been a bum year, when I lose my business, maybe when I'm doing virtual classes my senior year, this is not what I expected. This is not what I signed up for, but you can keep going because heaven is our home. We have to trust in him. We have to trust in him. And if you have a conviction in your heart that he is trustworthy and true, you can do anything, guys. Like, if you trust Jesus, then you know when he comes to you like Abraham and he says, hey, I've got something for you. You're like, okay, sign me up. I'm ready to follow you. Right? It's like in Matthew chapter 4, we spoke of this during the discipleship series. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I love that. He comes to James and Andrew and Peter. comes to these guys and he says, hey, I've got something better. So drop your nets, your fishing nets, your great fishermen. We're not knocking that. But I got something better than catching fish. We're going to go catch people. We're going to catch people. And you're going to follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. Guys, that's the journey we're on. We're, we're not changing who we are as a people. We're trying to actually increase who we are. Do you understand? Like, we're trying to take it to the next level of truly getting everyone equipped to be able to make disciples. We're trying to take the next level to say, hey, everybody can take personal responsibility for their walk with Jesus, to own your pursuit of Jesus. Yes, being, uh, hold others accountable to their pursuit, but the number one person you're holding accountable is yourself, right? <clears throat> holding yourself accountable to your own pursuit of Jesus, that's on you. And the word of God is present, the spirit of God is help and guide us when we feel stuck, Right? But that's what we're called to be as a people. And you know, those disciples had a moment. They had this fork in the road moment. I think we've all had those. 
you know, you had that fork in the road moment. You're like, okay, this is a big decision. What do I do? And they chose to follow him. I shared this maybe recently. I don't know if it was on a Sunday or somewhere. But, you know, Ash and I, when we lived in Waco, Texas, we were newlyweds. Three months into our, uh, into our marriage, we applied for ADS, which is this open house coming up in a week. We got rejected from ADS. And they said, no, we're not going to accept you. And we were devastated and really frustrated and borderline really angry and wanting to move on. And the fork in the road moment was um, you moved to be part of this church, but then you couldn't get into this school. So now what are you going to do? Your plans changed. Now what? And my desire initially was to hit the eject button and say, forget this. I'm going to go do something else. But by the grace of God, after a couple of weeks wrestling with him and the encouragement of others, we said, okay, we're going to stay and hunker down. And that was a fork on the road moment. We never would have planted this church. We'd never be living in this city if we didn't decide in those two weeks to put away our bitterness and anger from rejection and engage with God. And I'm telling you right now, some of us are stuck because of bitterness and rejection that you've received. And until you deal with that, you will stay stuck. You will not move on in your relationship. You will not move on in your career. You will not move on from the things that terrorize you at night until you get the bitterness and the rejection away. You put it at the feet of Jesus, and he said, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, not just a little bit. But you know what's part of that deal is you have to confess your sins to him, which bitterness is a sin. Just so you know, you're not entitled to it. Okay? It's, it's understandable you get hurt. You're not, as, as a believer, it is not okay if you remain bitter. Period. You can justify it all you want. Biblically, though, you're off. Deal with the bitterness, because if not, that very thing will cause you pain the rest of your years. You'll look back at the end of your life and say, why didn't I deal with it when I was 20? And just think, it's not just affecting you. It is like poison. It will affect the people around you that you love. Your future spouses, it'll affect them. Your future kids, you better believe it'll affect them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've got to take ownership of this journey and we've got to decide when there's a fork in the road moment and something doesn't go our way, what are we going to do? We stayed, we pressed in to God. <clears throat> and a lot of ways we can do that and we press into God is by reading the Bible. <laughs> We're talking about this a lot because um, I'm realizing that our world is struggling in many ways and the church is struggling because most believers don't actually know what this says. Right? We carry it around. Mine's a little raggedy. I probably need to get something done here. But... Um, we, we carry it around. We want to put it on a bookshelf. I mean, most, I think 90% of Americans have a Bible. I read that stat a couple years ago. So it's not that we don't have one. Um, but I used the illustration before. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like flossing, right? <clears throat> so it's, it's, a floss is not expensive. You actually get it for free when you go to the dentist. And that should last you six months. But you can go buy some for a buck or two. If not, I'll buy you some floss. Uh, f- floss is not expensive. What, what's the issue? The issue is that we don't have a value for flossing. Right? But if you ever, anyone know a dentist? Has your dentist ever said flossing's terrible? Don't floss. That's terrible. No. Like, you should floss. But they also know about 90% of their patients don't ever floss. And, and honestly, I, I'm, hey, I'm there. <laughs> I do it periodically. Okay, and I, I'm confessing to you, I'm a work in progress. My sons are actually better at flossing than I am, so there you go. Um, but you show up, and they're like, hey, so how's the flossing going? But they know the answer. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the same thing we do when people, it's like when someone rattles off something that's like, hey, that's like in the Bible, isn't it? And you're like, well, so where, so how have you been reading the Bible? 
and you know they haven't been reading, you know, or they're like, oh, you know, it's been good. What, what's been good? Well, you know, God, he's good. And it's like, come on, man. You haven't been flossing? You haven't been reading? But flossing is good for you. But it does take a little bit of time, just a little bit, like a couple minutes out of your day. If we all started flossing, then think next time I'm flossing, I'm going to be reading too, right? The Bible, it's not like we can't understand it. But even if you can't read, it is an audible version of different languages, you know? So the word of God must be a centerpiece for us and our pursuit of Jesus. You cannot pursue Jesus without knowing his word. Because then you're pursuing whatever your perception of Jesus is versus the reality of who he is. Do not pursue a perception. Pursue the truth. Right? But when faced with the truth, what does it do? Oh, it makes you squeamish. Oh, the truth. Oh, no, I'm feeling like I need to confess something. But if I have to face the truth, I feel good, right? Everything's cool. No big deal. Fine. Don't worry about it. Right? But uh uh-oh, face of the truth. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're going to get real. This is what's going to make you a personal disciple of Jesus. This right here. Not showing up here every Sunday, just so you know. This is a supplement. But I would say secondary to this. This has got to be part of who we are and what we do. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is good stuff, guys, and that is how we're able to get into the word and apply it to our lives. All right. The second piece I want to touch on here just briefly, we don't have long, would be this. To own your place in his mission by committing to selfless service. You see, if you start owning your pursuit of Jesus, right, then you can now figure out, okay, God, where's my spot on the team, right? On like team church, on team kingdom of God, right? Because if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what? He's already invited you in to be on his team. Now he's just saying, hey, I need you to play here. This is the spot I need you to step into. You know, um, Moses had this... um, crazy interaction, which I'll just summarize for a second time today, but you remember Moses, he helped lead the people out, but before that, before he led them out of Egypt, um, he was out in the wilderness, and, and the Lord showed up to him, this like burning bush, we know about the burning bush moment, right? He shows up, and Moses is there, and it's God, and he's like this, 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 this burning bush that's not going up in fumes, and it's there, and it's God, and it's this holy moment, and he's like, Moses, and he kind of gives him this deal, and he's like, hey, you are the man I've chosen to lead my people out. And Moses thinking, me? I mean, I'm like a nobody. What are you talking about? He's like, Moses, you're the guy to do it. Trust me. He's like, but I'm not very good at speaking. I'm not a public speaker. You know me. And he's like, Moses, you're the man. But what if they don't believe me? And I'll give you the staff. And you'll turn it in these cool signs and wonders. They'll believe you then. He's like, can you just send somebody else? So it's like, he's like, it's every excuse. And God's like, no, I got you. Excuse number two, I got you. Excuse me. He's like, okay. You answered all my questions, but can you still send somebody else? I mean, does that ever feel like us? It's like, no, no, God, I know. I mean, I'm equipped. I'm ready. I'm the right guy. But can you just someone else do it? Because that requires you to go on mission with him and take a step of faith. Oh, it's just easier just to leave me alone in my wilderness. Let me just be comfy. Leave me shelter in place. Don't bother me. Let me just shelter here. Okay? You are not made to shelter in place the rest of your life. And you are not made to live in the wilderness all your days either. You may have a wilderness season. could be 40 years. Okay? could be a year. could be a month. could be a week. I don't know. 
That means when God initiates with you, it's go time. It's all right, Lord. Amen. So Moses finally says he's in. He's, he's ready to roll. And, um, and you know, when I, when, when I think about this interaction between Moses and the Lord there in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, um, you know, I think about what held Moses back from engaging in the mission. You know, because there's always something, right? There's something that holds us back from actually saying yes to it. Um, you know, M- Moses dealt with insecurity, lack of experience, his fear of public speaking, that he wasn't connected or relevant anymore with the people. And, and I would just say that I think we experience some of the same things when God comes to us and says, would you engage in this mission? And sometimes it's maybe our, our excuses are, well, it's not my gifting or my personality doesn't really match up with that. Um, maybe it's a lack of experience. You know, I had never done that before. Or afraid to fail. You know, I, um, uh, many of you may, may not know this, but when I, was, uh, when I came to A&M, I did the blend team. My first year, I was a blend A&M combo, so I double dipped. Um, and um, I took public speaking at blend. And I took calculus, I took physics, I took chemistry, I took hard classes, all I could take. I took public speaking, and the one I was most afraid of was public speaking. And uh, I remember getting in there, and I, like, studied and went over my speech, and I had a heart. I mean, I'm sweating bullets out there giving this talk, and uh, I, like, barely passed the class. It was, like, one of those, like, grace, grace cards from the teacher, from the professor. And, you know, this is my freshman year of college. I had a stuttering problem in high school. I, my, my words would get tied up and tongue-twisted, and you wouldn't know that today because I talk a lot, but I'm telling you, it was like this... I just, I couldn't get the words. I was so frustrated and just like shut down, you know. And I remember when we are in Waco and the leadership initiates with us about planting a church. I remember one of my questions I asked, asked the elder team. I said, hey, have you ever heard of a church that's led by a senior pastor who doesn't preach? Because I'd like to be that guy. <laughs> and I remember Jimmy Seibert and uh, some other guys looked at me and they said, that's not going to work. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, Why? come on. I mean, I could do behind the scenes. I'll do that, you know. And, man, you got to preach. Um, my first sermons were, like, here. You know, Antioch's a little different. We don't give you too much prep. We just sink or swim. And, uh, <laughs> but, but God's with you, and we trust your character, and so you're going to swim, right? So we, we've, we've made it. But it's been a journey. It was a faith journey, guys, not just planning a church, but even doing this. God's going to invite you into some things that may feel like that. It may be different for you. But it's going to be a step of faith. You're going to say, lack of experience, check. I don't feel like I'm gifted, uh, check. Insecure, check, check, you know. But God's still going to say, no, I called you. I know the hairs in your head. I know your name. You know what's really cool about the Bible when you read through these stories? What you're going to find over and over and over again is that almost every single person that God used in a mighty way was called by him. Did you know that? They didn't volunteer. They were called. Go down the list. Think about it. Go in your head. Wait, God called them. And almost every single one of those people, you know what? They felt insecure, not gifted, small, not the right person, not the obvious choice. You know what I think? God loves calling us into things that we actually don't think we're that great at. Do you know why he does that? Because he also knows the number one thing that destroys people is pride. So if he calls you to do something you're not good at, 
Guess who's getting the glory? Not you. That's right. darn sure. Everyone's like, you're doing what? Right? I'm telling you, there's something in it that God is interested in getting after the hearts of the people. Just to wrap it up here. Um, you know, when, when we talk about owning your place in his mission, I, I just, I, I got to share the scripture with you guys because I think in, in many ways it is kind of captures our desire for us as a church these next couple of years as we go on this journey and then beyond, but really to double down in this way, to own your place in his mission. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20, it says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. But once you keep this up here, do you see what it says? It says, as he chose, in verse 18. As he chose, he chose people. He chose you to be in the kingdom of God. He chose you at this time and space to be in this church. He chose you to be part of the body of Christ. He chose you. You may have missed that before. You didn't actually volunteer for him. He chose you. And once the Lord chooses you, you're in. You're in his family. But just like any family, when he chooses you, he says, hey, we got work to do. He says, put your hands to the plow and just go. And when I want to move you to another field, I'll pick you up and move you. Don't worry about it. But right now, this is your field. I want to end our time and bring the band on up with um, just maybe putting it this way. You know, when we, we talk about a family... Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what everyone's upbringing was like, um, but I think in our minds, I think we think we think of family, we think, you know what, like, um, that, there, that there are family chores to do, uh, that there's like a family culture, and um, that, that, that if you're part of a family, hey, dishes are sometimes part of the thing, <laughs> right? So is making your bed, so is mowing the grass, or picking up the dog stuff, or whatever it may be, but like... Being a part of family means there's, there, there's chores to do. And, you know, oftentimes when you think about a big initiative like this, sometimes people think, well, like maybe you're in college and you're thinking, you know what, I'm only here for a couple of years, so I'm just going to sit this one out. And, um, and, and I think what I, what I would tell you is this, that if, if you don't engage in the things that are right in front of you throughout your life, you will short-circuit your development. I, I, I don't need my kids to, like, just do chores, like, uh, at 16, 17, 18. I need them to do it now. They're 2 and 4 and 7 and 8 and 11. But why am I doing that now? Because I want it built into their system that when they are part of a family, when they are part of a church, when they're part of a baseball team, what we do is we just serve. That's who we are. I was watching my son's baseball team yesterday. We have a tournament in... Um, you know, I love one of my sons. He, every time they come off the field, he runs off the field in the dugout. And um, if another kid's getting their catcher gear on, he plays catcher too, and he'll run over and help them get their stuff on. And no other kids help. He does. But that didn't start at the baseball field. That started at home. Hey, can you help your sisters with their food? Hey, can you help them with this? Can you serve with this? Can you do the dishes? My boys do the dishes. They will take them out and put them away. You have to climb up on the counter and get to the deals and put them down. 
But that's, that's part of family. I'm not just saying, hey, we've got this big thing we're doing now, so it's now the time to start serving. It is cultures. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The own initiative, the number one thing about it is we are trying to impart culture and to this church family. One day will we move to a new facility? Totally. But guys, if we ever go to a new facility and our culture is not established with pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly and where everybody's engaged and serving on the mission of God, then it's a mess. That's a big building with a bunch of people who aren't willing to really sacrifice for Jesus. I did not move here to lead a church of people that are lukewarm. We were not called to come and start something from scratch for people to have a good time. We are serious about Jesus. He is returning. I keep revelation in my mind. That is the end game in heaven. But right now I got work to do. I think Paul said something to the effect of, hey, I wish I could go, but I got work to do. I'd much rather be in heaven because it's a lot awesome. It's, it's a lot better. No tears or streets of gold. I mean, it's going to be beautiful air, the oxygen or whatever we're breathing. It's going to be beautiful. But you know what? Not yet. So he chose to make his life count. You don't have to go be a church planner to make your life count. You need to show up to the office tomorrow ready to work with joy and disciple your co-workers. You don't need to be in ministry to make your life count. You need to go home to your kids, change the diapers, cook a delicious meal, teach them to eat their vegetables, read them books at night, and give them an amazing childhood so they grow up without the brokenness that you have. You don't need to go plant a church somewhere or to go be the president of whatever to make your life count. You need to start the business. You need to do the budget right. You need to be integrous. You need to pay the IRS their taxes that are due. Raise employees. Create a culture that is kingdom culture. And be the best electric company or the best sales company in the city. Right? You, you do not have to have it all figured out. But you do have to wake up tomorrow and say, today, today, if this is my last day, I will end this day pursuing Jesus. I will end this day serving somebody besides myself. And if that is not what drives you, I would, I would challenge you to get here because this is what drove Jesus to the cross. His love for the Father and his commitment and love to us to serve us. It said, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life for me. I owe him my life. I would have no life without Jesus. I would have no family without Christ. I am imploring you. The own initiative is something we're doing as a family. It's not about that. I'm imploring you to get real about your walk with Jesus. I'm imploring you to get real about serving somebody else beside yourself. Because this world, all it pushes is do something for you. Jesus does not push that. That is not kingdom. That is worldly. That is ungodly. What is Christ-like is sacrifice. Bring someone else a meal. Don't wait around for yours. And when you do, you'll get your meals too. Amen? Let's stand as we close this morning. I'm just going to pray for us, and whatever the Lord's stirring in your heart this morning, if there's something in you that you're like, man, I need to double down with Jesus this morning. 
then just make that right now. You can pray and talk to him and say, Jesus, help me double down. Help me commit again. If you need to confess something, you've got bitterness in your heart. You've got anger from the past. Something you feel stuck, then say, God, why am I stuck? And I guarantee the spirit of God will reveal to you right now. And he'll say, this is why you're stuck. I know he'll speak to you. And then say, Lord, now then just pray and just confess to the Lord right there. If you need to pull someone next to you, hey, pray with me. I want to confess this thing, whatever it is. Do not leave this room stuck. <laughs> and don't leave this room being wishy-washy about Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to hang out right up here, me and Billy are. If you need Jesus this morning, you're saying, hey, I want to receive salvation. I am tired of carrying around my sin. I want the blood of Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me. We'll pray with you right here. Just come on up. No one cares. Just come on up here between you and God. If there is salvation in the house today, I want you to come up. We want to pray for you because I want your heart to be free. The freedom Jesus offers is more than anything you've ever imagined. It is totally worth it. All right, so I'm going to pray. Lord, we just thank you right now. We ask that we would double down our commitment to you, Jesus. Lord, we are praying that we would engage with your mission, whatever it is. Wherever you've put us, Lord, in our patch of grass, let us look at that and say, this is good. And we're going to do the best we can. We're going to honor you every day of our lives. Lord, let our lives matter. But let them matter because we're focused on you and other people, not on ourselves. God, we trust you and we love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.